You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. I'm Sheila Shoiga and welcome to Ready to be Real Conversations, the podcast series where I chat to people of all walks of life. Some names you'll recognize, others you might not, but my hope is that these conversations will at times inspire, challenge, educate, comfort, or simply entertain you. This week, I speak to writer, podcaster, activist and mother, Renee Von Medding. And recently, she started talking about it all the time to anyone who will listen. She'll be like, yeah, and when I was born and I was in I was in mom's tummy and then the doctor took me and then I was an embryo and then, and then I was in mama's tummy and then... And then she was trying to push me out and I got really big and then I was getting tired. (laughs) (laughs) And she like recounts the whole labor. And then the doctor needed to help to pull my head out because it was too big. (laughs) She loves it. But she just loves the, she loves the fact that she was in mom's tummy and then she was in mama's tummy. Renee lives in Dublin city centre with her wife, Audrey, and their two daughters, Ava, who's four, and Aria, who's two. And she spoke about so much during our chat. From growing up in an extremely religious household, the importance of having boundaries, her struggles with an eating disorder, how she met and fell in love with Audrey and their beautiful but challenging journey to motherhood. She's also the CEO of non-profit organisation Equality for Children. And I hope when you listen to this conversation that you'll feel as strongly as I do and want to support their efforts by signing the petition that you'll find in the show notes. Here's our conversation. Renee, you're very welcome and thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for having me. Right, so first up, you're Irish, but you weren't, you weren't born here. No, I was born in Chicago and we moved here when I was four. So I've grown up here and it, yeah, it's a funny thing because it, depending on who I'm talking to, they'll be like, oh, you're not Irish. 
And I'm like, well, I am Irish. Yeah. You know, um, even like I've lived up on James's Street for my entire adult life, you know, middle of Dublin. And a lot of times even now, you know, people will be like treating me like a tourist. I'm like, I've lived here for like 13 years. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. But you've never lost the accent. See, my mom has a very strong accent. Ah, OK. And course. I think, you know, growing up on the south side of Dublin, everyone has a bit of an American twang. You know, watching all the TV we did growing up. So uh, moving here at four, do you have memories of it? My first memory, and I'm sure I have a lot of suppressed memories, but we won't go into that. That's <laughs> that's a whole other topic. But my first like memory that I am aware of is the uh, Dublin airport. Oh, really? Yeah, Dublin airport when we arrived and getting into a big van. I was the youngest of four siblings. It was my mom and the four of us. Um, my dad actually passed away when I was two in Chicago. Um, he had okay. colon cancer and died at 31. Oh God, I'm sorry. Yeah, so we moved here just with her and the four of us. And I just remember getting into this big van and all of these suitcases. And it was really chaotic, but it was really exciting. And just being in this place that was like just so unknown. Yeah, yeah and so I would imagine extremely different. Very different, yeah, yeah. Um, um, You know, throughout my childhood, we would have gone back and forth to uh, Chicago quite a bit and we would travel to Florida quite a bit. And it's just worlds apart. I think it's not as different now, but in the early 90s, it was very different. Yeah. Yeah. So what was growing up like here for you? It was interesting because I think, you know, I come from a very religious background, so that very much flavored my my childhood. My childhood was all about the church and okay. church events, and that was our life. You know, my mom came over to Ireland as a missionary. She was sent from her church in the States to come to Ireland as wow. a missionary. Okay. So that was like our whole existence kind of revolved around that. Um, which, you know, later on in life came with a lot of um, added complications. Okay. Uh, but I remember, you know, loving where we lived. We lived in um, in Cabinteely on the south of Dublin and just a lovely spot to grow up. Even we were there last week when we were allowed to go outside the 20K and we went to Cabinteely Park. And I have mm. so many lovely memories of, you know, we were just in there every day. Yeah. Um, and it was a gorgeous spot to grow up in. I know you've touched probably on something very big and whether you want to go there or not. But when you say a very religious background, is it Catholic, Protestant, what religion? So born again Christian. OK, yeah. So I suppose, you know, later on in life, it, it became a huge issue because I was very much and I think for, for most children who grow up in an ultra orthodox or ultra religious setting, you don't know anything else. So that yeah. that is what you believe. That is what you believe. Your parents or your parent tells you this is how it is and that's what you believe. Um, so I was very much a part of that world um, up until maybe about the age of 15 or so. And I started questioning things and um, I was like, I don't think I believe this. And, you know, I don't think that is right. And um, you know, for for me, I was in, I, I was a theatre kid and I did all the musicals in school and I had a lot of friends who were gay. And this was something for me that just always jarred with me, being told that being gay was wrong. Mm. And even though at the time I thought I was straight, mm. um, that always jarred with me. I was like, but I know these people and, uh, you yeah. know, I, they're, they're just like me. They're, they're just, there's no difference. 
Um, so that was something that always jarred with me and then lots of other things. Um, and I just became very disillusioned with that whole, um, you know, that whole world. Yeah. And I, I became the black sheep of the family at the time, you know. Right. Yeah. Okay. I was the youngest yeah. one and I was the rebellious one. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure there's plenty of people listening that are going tick. Yeah. I'm that too in my family. Um, and we start to look at family dynamics there is black sheep in nearly every family I've ever met. Yes, absolutely. And it changes, <laughs> you know, which, is, which is interesting. Sometimes mm. it can change because I'm not necessarily the black sheep anymore. Okay. <laughs> you have passed on the baton. Yes, gratefully. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so at the time, my siblings would have been in that world as well. Yeah. I think I was probably the first one to break away from it. Um, so that was around the age of 15, 16. Uh, we'll talk about this more later, but the, at the age of 16, I also developed an eating disorder, which was 100% had a lot to do with all of those struggles that were going on. Yeah. And that was something I could control. Um, but then when I was 21, um, I met my now wife. Um, I had always dated boys or men up until then I had never questioned that and looking back I can see that I definitely had attraction to lots of people yeah um, I just didn't realize what that was uh, but when I met Audrey I very much knew it was more than just being you know attracted as a friend sure um, we started dating secretly um, we didn't tell any of my family some of our close friends knew and about Eight months after we had been dating, I had to tell my family and at the time, all of my family and my siblings were still very much in that world. Okay. And that was really, really hard because um, we had been brought up being told that being gay was akin to being a murderer. You know, it was the worst thing you could be. Um, so that those were really hard conversations. I remember each conversation I had separately with each one of them um, and you know, some of the responses were not what I expected. Um, where I expected acceptance, I didn't necessarily find it with some of my siblings. And where I expected pushback, there was actually a, a greater level of empathy than I had expected. So it wasn't it wasn't at all what I was um, thinking would happen. Okay. With my mom, it was very much what I was thinking would happen in that she was absolutely devastated you know, and for years after I told her, she kept trying to change me. She kept trying to say, this is not right. This is not the path for your life. Why don't you just be soulmates, <laughs> but not have a physical relationship? Because I can see that you are very connected and I can see how happy you make each other, but it's wrong. And that, you know, that's just her religion telling her, Yeah. you know, on a personal level, I know even now she can see how right we are for each other and mm. how happy we are and how normal we are. Yeah. But her religion just doesn't allow her to kind of get past that. And still doesn't? Still doesn't. But I would say that the relationship has healed so much oh, great. in those years. So we've been together 13 years now. Um, about half of that time was very fraught and very difficult. Um, and I would say that a big shift, there were two very big shifts in the relationship. One was when I went to therapy and realized that I needed to put up boundaries and I needed to say, no, you cannot say these things to me. You cannot, you know, put this on us. If you have views and opinions 
they are yours. Yeah. I cannot do anything to change how you feel or, you know, anything to do with that, but I can change how I allow you to interact with me. Um, and there was a period of time when I said, I have to cut off contact with you until you learn that that is your life. This is my life and we can coexist peacefully, but I cannot live where, you know, in a situation where every time you see me, you cry and you beg me and you tell me I'm a sinner and, you know, I, I can't do that anymore. Yeah. And I did. I cut off contact for a couple of months and that was a, a, a huge shift because I think she just kind of realized that if she wanted to be in my life and I very much wanted her in my life as my only parent. Yeah. Um, but she kind of realized that she just kind of had to take a step back and, you know, keep keep a lid on it, really. You know, it, you know what? It shows how how strong you are. And what age were you when you went when, you know, you got to that point? Because boundaries are something that I've touched on mm. in, in, in this podcast a lot, because there's something that I in my personal life have realized the value of putting them in place. And we all need them. We do like and people don't realize that they have these kind of codependent relationships with people to varying degrees. And they can be really unhealthy sometimes, yes. you know, and you have to be able to say no. Mm. And you have to be able to step back and you have to say that, you know, I need to keep myself and my immediate family safe here. Yes, yeah. And, you know, sometimes you're not safe in a relationship, you know, and that's why you need to put those boundaries in place. Um, I was in my mid 20s and I was kind of on the road to beginning to heal from my eating disorder at that point, which is why I was, um, you know, accessing therapy at that point. Um, great, but, but look, therapy yeah. is, is a great thing for, for, everybody. for everybody. You don't have to have gone through something huge. Yeah. Um, I think everybody benefits from from therapy. Big time. Um, the other big shift in the relationship with my mom has been the birth of our kids. Mm. Um, and I think kids change people's mm. minds and hearts. You know, they do. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> so you can have, you know, you ha have your these beliefs that are ingrained from your own childhood, mm -hmm. perhaps. Which did she grow up in a in born in Christian background as well? They would have been, I think, Presbyterian. OK, um, so they would have gone to church. But no, it was very much something she um, stumbled upon in her teenage years. OK, yeah, kind yeah. of became indoctrinated. Sure. You know, mm -hmm. met some really persuasive people and. And I think I think that is the way it happens sometimes with, you know, extreme religion or, you know, those sorts of worlds is that people need connection. And when they find like minded people who, you know, feel like their tribe, it's very easy to be sucked into that, mm -hmm. you know, and I think it's just, you know, I'm not against anyone believing whatever they want to believe if it gives them a sense of peace and a sense of purpose. Uh, but it's when those beliefs start to, um, you know, exclude people and start to, you know, I suppose, have that that idea that your way is the right way. Yeah. That's when it becomes problematic. Sure. Yeah. And it hurts people. Yeah. But the girls uh, are now in the world and they, you know, despite what her beliefs were on paper, she's presented with these two gorgeous little girls that are family yeah. and and she loves them absolutely like yeah. she you know and if I had spoken to you a couple of years ago I never would have thought that I would say that she is our number one help okay brilliant. like we couldn't have gotten through 
the last couple of years without her. She's our number one babysitter and they absolutely adore her. And I never would have thought that would have happened. So great to hear. Yeah. And you know what, as well, it's, it's, a, it's, you know, for somebody listening who is perhaps struggling to put boundaries in place and is aware that they're necessary, mm. but is, is scared because it is scary. Mm-hmm. It is scary going against the status quo mm-hmm. and shaking things up. But you've shown that actually boundaries are healthy and mm-hmm. they can le- yield really positive results. Does yeah. she respect your boundaries now? She does very much so. Right. And more so even than I, I see with my other siblings sometimes. She really respects mine because they were put in place so strongly at the time. Um, and that wasn't easy. Like that was a really difficult thing to do. Um, yeah. But yeah, as you say, the good that came from having to do that um, is immeasurable. Like mm. um, I wouldn't do anything differently. Like it absolutely needed to happen at the time. And yeah, when I see people with their families and um they're kind of struggling with different issues. I'm just like, just respect yourself. You are your own person. Mm. No one owns you. You don't have to do something because your siblings are doing it or you don't have to do something because your parents or your grandparents or your aunties or your uncles. And it's just the thing you do within your family. Like you are your own person. You make your own way in the world. Um, And, you know, people need to respect that. And if they don't, there is the door. Mm. You're brilliant. <laughs> I just, I, 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 yeah, I'm just like, I'm getting goosebumps because I, I can just feel it from you. You're a, you're a, you're a powerhouse. <laughs> and, and I think, you know, as an outsider listening to you and only hearing, you know, a few minutes about family dynamics and obviously I don't have a clue of anything else, but it feels like while you may be the most challenging of her children mm. with, in terms of the relationship with you and her, um, as you said, with that comes comes huge respect mm. because you are, you know, taking the, the reins of your own life and saying, OK, I respect myself enough yeah. to say no to this. Yeah, that's brilliant. Yeah. OK, Fab, let's go back now. Let's go okay. back to uh, <laughs> to meeting Audrey, because that was really interesting what you said. So you didn't necessarily question it. You were dating. You were dating boys. Yeah. Um, But then you you developed this friendship with Audrey. Yeah. And then. Was it like a gradual thing or was it like a bolt out of the blue? It was literally a bolt. Was it? Literally a bolt. And I will never forget that feeling. Um, We had been friends for about a year. We met in college. Uh, We were both doing acting and she was in fourth year. I was in first year. I was, you know, I've matured a lot since then. But at the time I was very much the people pleaser. I wanted everyone Mm. to like me. I still have that in me, but I've toned it down a lot. Um, but I was very young and green and she was like, you know, from Ballyfermot and she, you know, kind of, we were just so different. And when we struck up this friendship, I know a lot of her friends were like, what are you doing? Like, who is your one? Like, there's like. From a totally different world. We're so different. Like I was very chatty and like wanting to be friends with everyone. She was very like introverted and reserved and just like really cool. Like didn't really you know, talk a lot, but like everyone wanted to be around her, you know, that sort of, we were just so different. And, um, it's actually funny how we first kind of started talking was we were paired together for this open day. Uh, we used to have these open days in college where we'd put on these most ridiculous, like restoration costume, kind of like ridiculous, (laughs) like outfits. And, you know, we'd have to go around in character all day and, you know, talk to prospective students who would want to come in the next year. Um, and our, the director of the college may 
paired the two of us up and told me to put some makeup on her because she never wore makeup. Yeah. And he was like, you know, put some makeup on her. So we found ourselves in this like bathroom cubicle, me like chatting the the ear off her, like putting <laughs> makeup on her. And she's just like, ah, what is happening right now? But from then on, we just kind of really got on and we were just really fast friends, you yeah. know, and there was always a connection there. I just wanted to be around her, but I didn't know what that was. I now know that she always had feelings for me, but she just never went there because she thought I liked guys and that was it. Yeah, okay. um, I knew she had dated both guys and girls and that was never an issue for me at that stage. You know, I was very well into the world of theater and, you know, a lot of my friends were gay and, but I, it just never occurred to me, yeah. honestly, like looking back, it never occurred to me that I might be physically attracted to her I just knew that I just you know when you just have this connection with someone and you you just want to be around them and you yeah. want to text them and and I just didn't understand it you know um and it was the day before my birthday my 21st birthday and at that stage I had spent a lot of nights with her like I would like sleepovers yeah um and I was going back to stay in her house or her her flat like she was in Rathmines at the time and I was going back to stay with her and up until that point had never had a feeling and then I remember that night I was lying there probably a bit drunk <laughs> <laughs> but I was just lying there and just literally all of a sudden my heart started beating really fast yeah and I got so nervous and I'm not the sort of person to get really nervous about that sort of thing but I just got really nervous because I knew I felt something and I knew I wanted to say something. But I was like, what? Like, what do I say? Yeah. And so she she could like knew I was tossing and turning. And then finally, she's like, Renee, what's wrong? What's wrong with you? And literally what I said, and it took me about three or four minutes to get the words out. I said, I uh, <laughs> kind of uh, want to kiss you. And it took me so long to like get the words out. I said it and then she waited for what seems like about 20 minutes, <laughs> but probably it was about 20 seconds. And then we kissed and then, you know, the rest is history. Oh, lovely. But it was just, yeah, so unexpected. And like, did you know in that second that you had that kiss? Oh, yeah. This is meant to happen. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It just felt right. And, mm. you know, in the kind of couple of months after that, when we weren't telling anyone, you know, obviously I, I struggled a bit with my upbringing and I'm like, is, is this really right? Am I doing something wrong? Okay. But it never felt yeah. wrong. There was never a moment that it felt wrong. It always felt completely right, you know? Mm. Um, and I just, I went with that because I was like, how, how could this be wrong? Yeah, exactly. Like, we're just two people. Like, who cares what bits we have? And yeah. that's what I still say now is, like, I don't necessarily, I kind of, I would identify, I suppose, as queer or gay. I think everyone's a little bit gay, but that's just me. <laughs> um, <laughs> Love it. But, like, I would never identify. Do you really think so? I 100% Come think on, so. Come on, this is brilliant. I, I just think it's a spectrum. I think it just depends on it's the person you fall in love with. Because, okay. like... I, I don't know. Like, I just don't. So we all have a bit of it in us. I think we do. Right. I really do. Um, whether we explore it or not. Exactly. Uh -huh. And whether we're, we're taught like all of these kind of gender norms and like, you know, you know, sex is not gender and gender is not sex. And, you know, mm. people are f more fluid than 
I, I think we are allowed to believe. Uh, OK. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You know, so I'd not I would I wouldn't identify as a lesbian because I still find men attractive. I just find okay. I always say I find people attractive, you yeah. know, and it's about what is, you know, it's obviously, you know, the physical attraction is there. But it's what is on the inside of, of a person's soul? Mm. Like what's in their mind? Do they intellectually stimulate you? You know, it's it's not about what bits they have. Yes. I don't think. Interesting, isn't it? Because like, I mean, there are labels, obviously you've said a few of them there, you know, gay, lesbian, bisexual. Mm-hmm. I mean, are you against labeling? Not that I'm against labeling, but I don't necessarily like it when people... Try and put you in a box. Yeah. I mean, I have no problem with people, you know, calling me, you know, gay, queer, you know, of the LGBTQ plus community. That's fine. And it's nice, I think, for people to and sometimes it's helpful for people to have a label. Okay. it's helpful for people who maybe have struggled with their sexuality for a long time to finally have a name to put on it. Okay. yeah, it can be helpful for people. I suppose I never really struggled with it. It just was something that happened for me. It wasn't yes. like I was hiding for years and years and years. And then I was like, oh, my God, I just like women. That was that was never my experience. Yeah, I getcha. Yeah. OK, brilliant. So you share your first kiss. You both know, OK, this is it. We've been pals for a good few years at this stage. We had been we had been really good friends for a year at oh, that stage. Okay, yeah. Yeah. So was there a part of you that was worried that you were going to jeopardize your friendship? Did that ever cross your mind? I don't think it ever did because I was, I was, you know, I'm the sort of person who I trust very quickly and I love very quickly. Mm. Audrey is not. Um, Okay. You know, it took her longer to say I love you than it took me because I knew right away that I loved her. Mm. Um, So it definitely took her longer. She's, she's. Was that difficult? So you you went, you balled out and you said, Audrey. I love you. Yeah. Was it like radio silence? <laughs> Do you know what? I think th- it was like a series of conversations I had with her because, you know, she's a big Taurus head okay. on her, you know, and she's like, <laughs> it takes her a while to warm up to you. But once you're in, you're in, you're locked for in for yeah. life. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we had had this conversation and she was like, you know, I'm not going to say I love you until I know. <laughs> I know. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so when she did say it, it you know, it. I knew she meant it. Okay. Uh, but I, I, I suppose just very early on, I kind of just felt like this was it. Mm. I just felt like this is my person. And clearly it is. I mean, yeah. you're 13 years on and yeah. two girls. Yeah. Yeah. So let's get into, um, you know, your journey to motherhood and how beautiful it's been, but also how challenging mm. it's been. No doubt it's been a hu- hugely challenging uh, time for both of you. But you make the decision that you do want to have kids. And that was very early on. I think we never we never said we would get married because at the time um, we didn't have marriage equality. Yeah. So that was never a big priority for us. But we always knew we wanted to have kids. Mm. Um, and we, you know, we talked about that pretty much from the first couple of years. We were like, if we're still together in a few years, we're definitely going to have kids, right? You know, mm. it was just, we both come from, you know, big families, lots of cousins. We both just adore kids. We'd have like a hundred of them if we had the money and the yeah. help to do it. Um, so we always knew we wanted to have kids. And then I suppose it was when marriage equality was looking likely. Mm. That was the time when we were kind of ready to maybe start thinking about kids. So at that time we were like, 
oh my God, we can have it all. We can get married. We can have a baby. Won't this be amazing? And we we knew that we wanted to do some form of fertility treatment so that one of us would carry a baby as opposed to potentially adopt. Um, and we just didn't know how that would look. And one night, I think we were having a glass of wine and we were talking about all the permutations of ways it could work. And we were like, wouldn't it be cool like if we could use your egg and then I could carry a baby? Yeah. Wouldn't that be cool? Because then it would like be your genetic baby, but I'd be giving birth and growing the baby. Like, wouldn't that be cool? And, you know, at the time that sounded like science fiction. And then we Googled it and we were like, oh my God, this is a thing. We can do this. Yeah. Uh, So we learned that that was called reciprocal IVF. And we were so excited. We were like, this is amazing. Isn't science great? Isn't it great that we were born when we were and that Mm. we're living in this time and it's not 20 years ago. Um, We were just so grateful. We were like, this is amazing. And we went to a clinic in um, early 2015 and asked about doing that and we were told that we couldn't um, do it because they didn't have a license which was completely bizarre because they had a license to do egg donation you know Mm. for heterosexual couples you could do egg and sperm donation at the time Um, but I couldn't use my spouse's genetic material if she was a man we could have used her sperm and a donor egg but we couldn't use her egg and donor sperm so the issue was because you're a same-sex couple yeah so it was that particular treatment just there was no license for it so they said we're really sorry but we can't do it so if if you want to use your own eggs and do an IUI or an IVF with donor sperm you can do that here but if you want to do reciprocal IVF you're going to have to go abroad we were devastated, yeah. but in true fashion, especially for me, when I'm told, no, I'll just find a way to do it. Okay. Um, hmm. And we went and we researched. And I think within a couple of days, we had um, booked like a call with a clinic in Barcelona. And we decided we were going to go to Spain and spend a month there and try to get pregnant that way. Um, so that's what we did. <laughs> and like it happened quickly. So this was, I think, in... I think in July was Mm. when we had the appointment in Dublin and um, just, you know, trying to sync up cycles um, and, you know, making sure that both of us were on folic acid and just doing all the prep kind of work. Um, We planned our cycle for September. So it was within a couple of months. Wow. Yeah. It was really quick. Yeah. Yeah. Because at that stage, we were ready to get going. Yeah. Um, We also had planned to get married um, in October, which is when we had originally um, started dating. Um, but the, I don't know if you remember, but the marriage equality legislation was delayed a little bit with being commenced. That's so right, it passed yeah. in May and it was supposed to be commenced by September, I think. Mm. It was like late that year. Okay, yeah. So we had planned our wedding for October and it wasn't going to be. And we were like, we're not going to have a ceremony and it's not legal. So we just said, look, we'll try for the baby first and then we'll get married in the spring, which is what we did. So... Um, we went to Barcelona and we spent a month there. We didn't really tell anyone what we were doing. We had no idea what we were doing because there was no information. There was literally nowhere to go. We didn't know any gay parents. We didn't know anyone even who had just done IVF. We had no idea what reciprocal IVF entailed. There was like just no information from within Ireland that we could access. We just had no idea what we were doing. And we, you know, dealing with a language barrier with this foreign clinic and they were trying to send us 
you know, and anyone who's gone through a fertility kind of journey and fertility treatment knows that like the medication and the Mm. schedules you have to stick to are really complicated sometimes. And they would be sending us these prescriptions. We were going to our GP and asking them to translate them onto an Irish script so we could actually get the medications that we needed. Um, There were so many things that we made mistakes with and I don't know how it all turned out so well (laughs) because there were so many mishaps along the way, Uh, but we kind of bumbled our way through it and we're just really, really lucky that... um, So basically reciprocal IVF is a standard IVF cycle split between two partners Mm. with the addition of uh, donor sperm. So am I right in thinking that Audrey's doing the injections? And the egg collection, yep. The egg collection. And then, then this is where you take over then. And then that. I take over. I, I would also have done injections and um, okay. hormones to prepare my body mm-hmm. for an embryo transfer. So instead of her have you know, one person having to go through both the egg collection, and that really is the hard part of IVF, um, it's kind of split. So then obviously I go through the the hormones to kind of prepare the womb for a potential baby. Um, obviously, actually having the baby is the hard part. But in saying that, it is, it is beautiful to hear that there w- it was really, I mean, straight away, you're you're setting it out. We are a team. We're yeah. going to do this together. We're going to share the experience. Yeah. Um, and it was a very shared experience because mm. I know for a lot of um, same sex or LGBTQ plus couples, if one partner is undergoing all the treatment, it can feel isolating for the other parent or partner. Um, but for us, it was very much a shared experience. And at, when we did it the first time, no one knew. So that was kind of really special. The second time around, everyone knew because I was blogging about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the first time around, no one knew, which was lovely. Um, wow. Yeah. So, I mean, when you came home then, hello, we're back, we're about to get married and we're pregnant. So what happened was we did this cycle. Yeah. We got 10 eggs. We got seven embryos mm. and then we transferred two. I did get pregnant, but I had very, very early miscarriage okay. within a couple of weeks. Mm. Um, I We kind of weren't expecting that. Like, I think everyone goes into you know, trying to get pregnant in whatever way that might be. And Mm. you go into it thinking it's just going to happen. It's going to happen. Yeah. And we just thought because we didn't have any fertility issues, you know, we just Mm. were like, yep, we're going to do this embryo transfer. I'm going to get pregnant. It's going to work. We weren't really expecting that. So that kind of blindsided us. But at the same time, we were very much in that mode of let's just keep going. So that's what we did. I had to come off all the medication um, and we had to wait another month. So did you stay in? No. So by that by that stage, we were home, you Mm -hmm. know, so we came home pretty much after the embryo transfer. You know, the kind of the long process is the the um, egg, the ovarian stimulation and the egg collection. That's kind of what takes the longest. Yeah. So by that stage, we were home and Audrey was back in work. She had taken all the time off she could from work and decided to go for a frozen embryo transfer. We still had five embryos left. I flew over. I actually was doing a gig the night before in November. No one knew again that I was going over um, to Barcelona the next morning. I flew on a Ryanair flight on a Thursday morning, got there, got booked in, stayed in a hotel, had the embryo transfer by myself on the Friday morning and then flew home at the, din- at the dinner time flight on 
you know, a Ryanair dinner time flight on the Friday. Um, wow, and that's okay. how I got pregnant with Ava. And I always think that's funny. I got pregnant with my wife's baby when she wasn't even the same country <laughs> as me. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. As yeah. you said, I mean, science is a yeah. beautiful thing. It is. So then I was so that was the end of November. So I suppose well, you we, must have been scared, though, on your own, were you? Or are you are you just strike me as very you go and get stuff done. Yeah. Do you know what? And, that kind of person. And you know what? At that stage, so I'm also a type one diabetic. OK, that is a whole other kind of story and journey. But I was only diagnosed when I was 20, 25, 26. Mm-hmm. I was diagnosed um, and had a kind of near death experience in Sydney. Um, I had been undiagnosed for about a year and it was when I had um, begun recovering from my eating disorder and I suppose I was not diagnosed because a lot of the people who were seeing me knew my history and a lot of the symptoms of type 1 diabetes can sometimes mimic um, eating disorder behavior you know so I was losing weight again Um, I was just acting weird all the time. I was tired all the time. I couldn't concentrate on things. And it was essentially just dismissed because of my my history. The only person who knew something was wrong was Audrey because she was the one who lived with me. She knew that I was actually doing really well with my mental health. Yeah. Okay. Um, and she knew something was not right. Um, but yeah, when we were in, we went, we traveled to Australia for the first time and the trip just did me in and I hear that from a lot of people who are diagnosed I've actually met a lot of people who are diagnosed in Australia after undergoing you know because it's such a trek to get over there yeah um and whatever it is about traveling when you're in that state of um undiagnosed type 1 diabetes like your blood sugar is just climbing and climbing and climbing and you go into a thing called DKA which is a diabetic ketoacidosis, which basically your body starts poisoning poisoning itself. Um, and I was kind of at that point before we flew. And then when we flew, it pushed me over the edge. And um, Audrey got me into an emergency room in Sydney. And I don't remember. I went into a coma and was in a coma for two days. Um, oh, my God. It was crazy. Yeah. And they said if she hadn't got me in when she did, like... I just I would either have permanent brain damage or I just wouldn't be here. Um, So from that experience and then following on from that, I have a lot of experience being in the hospital, having to go to appointments, dealing with pain, you know, just from various different things. I'm just I'm used to that kind of environment of having to go for procedures. Yeah. Um, And also just in general, I think with the types of people we are like, if I'm in pain, I'll kind of suck it up and and get on with it Audrey's like a bear when she's in pain and she will tell you that you know which also kind of just made sense when we were talking about like who would carry a baby it just made sense that it would be (laughs) that it would be me you know um she's really good at taking care of me when I'm when yeah, I'm getcha. when I'm in pain and stuff. So yeah, no. I so think... am I am I right in thinking that when you're in pain, is it is it do you internalize it? As in, is it a is it a I just need to bite my lip here and suck it up, I, rather yeah. than scream and roar as yeah. other people would be external about absolutely, pain. absolutely. Like even in labor, I don't think I ever like I just I just did it. I just got those babies out. You know, you didn't. No, like, I didn't. Moan or scream. No, no, I definitely like. 
had had like noises I would make and like maybe would and I would have a lot of music on going but I never screamed because to me that was like that's not that's not a positive energy for me (laughs) it just didn't yeah no so like yeah for me like listening to all the all the shouting and roaring and I'd be there just like (laughs) like (laughs) really quiet yeah, that's definitely the the type of person I am. I would definitely internalize it. Like that's even, fascinating. Even last week, I was in so much pain. Um, I've done something to my neck recently, and I was in so much pain, and I had to um, record an episode for my own podcast. And everyone knew how much pain I was in, and everyone was like, "Renee, we don't have to do this today. The world's not going to end. We can reschedule." And I was like, "No, nope, we're doing it." <laughs> I, I'm, I can't move my neck and I'm going to move like this, <laughs> but we're still doing it. You know, I'm just, I'm one of those people who just kind of likes to get things done. Mm. Yeah. Which wow. is, which is probably something I need to work on, you know, being a little well, bit easier on myself. Well, perhaps, but it's yeah. also, I mean, it's a, it's a pretty amazing quality to have as well, to be that, uh, like Trojan about yeah. things and have that, like, I'm going to get through this. <laughs> so you can kind of probably deal with anything. Because you've been through so much already. I feel like the things that we have been through, like myself personally, and then as a couple, I feel like there's literally nothing. Yeah. And sometimes it's the little things now that phase me because I've dealt with so many big things. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like there's nothing that you could throw at me. This is like me inviting the universe. This is me like, come at me. <laughs> I know. I feel that too, actually. No, look, you've, you, I think you've, you certainly takes enough boxes for the moment in terms of challenge in your life. So I think, you, you know, smoother, smoother days ahead would be would be welcome, wouldn't they? Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, you come back uh, on the on the, the Ryanair flight in the evening on a Friday. Yeah. yeah. And I tested a week later. Okay. So you're not supposed to test for two weeks. Uh, you're not supposed to test at all at home if you've done IVF. You're supposed to go back to the clinic. Obviously, we couldn't, but I was supposed to go to my GP to get a blood test. I'm sure everybody tests. Everybody yeah, tests. Okay. Like anyone who says they don't is just completely lying. And Audrey would always be like, don't test without me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I would always test without her. <laughs> <laughs> because I wanted to know, like I just before, like if we were disappointed, I just wanted to kind of prepare for her disappointment, okay. you know, so I always did. So were you um, feeling that sense of responsibility? Yeah, because definitely I think whoever carries the baby mm, feels mm. that responsibility. And if it doesn't work, you feel like that weight is on you. And of course, you had already experienced yeah. an early miscarriage yeah, as well. Yeah. So you'd had that. Yeah. So um, I just wanted to know. But mm. I also really felt like it had worked. Oh, I okay. felt like I was pregnant. So we got one of I got one of the clear blue tests that say, you know, how many weeks or whatever. Um, and I remember doing it and um it was a Saturday morning, first pee of the day, <laughs> mm. and um, it immediately came up like pregnant. And I went back, I went back into her, and she she just knew. She looked at me. She's like, "You did a test, and you." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we were just so so delighted. Aww. Yeah. So um, thankfully, the pregnancy was fairly uncomplicated. I mean, I'm a type one diabetic, so I mm. was in a lot. Um, I had a lot of appointments, you know, being pregnant almost became like a full time job for me with the amount of appointments I had to attend. I can imagine. Um, so uh, you had constant blood tests, I would have said. Constant. And I was constantly like being weighed and, you know, just monitored. And yeah, it was it, it, like it was tough in that respect. Like yeah. it was an uncomplicated pregnancy as in nothing went wrong. 
but it was tough from from the management side for me and also you know I was a fairly new diabetic so mm. my Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation we thought we'd bring our prices down so to help us we brought in a reverse auctioneer which is apparently a thing Mint Mobile unlimited premium wireless ready to get 30 30 to get 30 ready to get 20 20 20 to get 20 20 to get 15 15 15 15 just 15 bucks a month so give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch $45 up front for 3 months plus taxes and fees promo rate for new customers for limited time unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows full terms at mintmobile.com you should celebrate yourself every day but some days you should celebrate with jewelry Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to bluenile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's bluenile.com. bluenile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner 3 days in a row, dreaming of something better? Well, Hello Fresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. My blood sugar was just all over the shop. Um any sort of hormonal shift really affects your blood blood sugar levels. Um I wasn't on a pump, an insulin pump. I didn't have a CGM, which is an amazing thing which basically monitors your blood sugar every couple of minutes and it will send um my blood sugar level to my pump. It will like alert me if I'm going low. So I have all this amazing technology now that I didn't have for my first pregnancy. Okay. Um so I was basically like finger pricking every like 20 minutes my fingers were like black and blue through that pregnancy because I was just constantly going low going high Good luck, yeah, yeah. um yeah it was really difficult and then obviously mm. just with it being the first pregnancy and you have no other experience and you know yeah. to measure it against it was um it was difficult but we were also just so incredibly grateful to be pregnant mm. um and just so happy and we didn't know any better so ignorance is this <laughs> yeah sometimes a little bit yeah so we ended up we actually had to, I was an inpatient they had admitted me for like weird blood sugar levels um and we had to sneak me out to go to the registry office part of the wedding no <laughs> yeah because we were getting married in march yeah and we had to do the legal bit in february um and i just happened to have been admitted and i was like, <laughs> so they snuck me out like they um they came and got me and snuck me out <laughs> myself and Audrey and her parents um how did you manage <laughs> just like i don't know a sheet across the nurse's station i literally just said i'm going out i'm going across the road you know things were a lot more lax back okay, then yeah, in the, the in the rotunda i was like yeah i'm going uh, across to married. the ilac yeah <laughs> i'm i'm just going to shop <laughs> i went and got married and then came back <laughs> Hey, yeah. I got a pack of biscuits and yeah. a wife. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um That's so, so brilliant. Um so yeah, we got married in March of 2016. So at that stage I was around five months pregnant. Um the dress was a nightmare. Was it? Because we had to keep having fittings because I just didn't realize how quickly a bump could show up. 
Okay, and you kept they kept having to let it out, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, and then I okay. ended up having to change the dress at the last minute because oh. the dress couldn't be let. I had like my fairy tale gown, you know, it was like beautiful gown. It had pockets. It was just like that kind of real Cinderella kind of. Yeah. And with the bump, it just didn't. It just wasn't going to work. So we 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 ended up having to go for like kind of a fitted mermaid kind of style which was lovely because you could see the bump um but it definitely wouldn't be what I would have chosen were I not pregnant but you know what I actually didn't care I was so chilled out I did not care I think I was just so flooded with like happy hormones that I was like I don't care doesn't matter I could just buy something from pennies and we'll go get married it doesn't matter like I so was not the kind of bride that I thought I would be okay you know, because I am like, I like to be in control of things. Mm. I like things to go to plan. I like to have a plan. Um, but I was so chilled out about it. I was like, it doesn't matter. It's okay. Yeah. I suppose those second trimester hormones and they yep. kick in. Yeah. As I know it's not the same for everyone and every sure. pregnancy is different, but a, a lot of women will experience that shift from the first trimester to the second. I suppose at the time, um, and I'm sure we'll talk about this, we just had, we just thought everything was great. And okay, that yeah. we were not going to be facing additional challenges once our child was born. Mm-hmm. We just thought, this is amazing. We're married. We're having a baby. We are like everybody else now. Because Ireland has is opened equal. up. We said, yes, <laughs> yeah. yes, marriage equality. It's all good. Okay. Yeah. So you're married. You go on to have uh, your gorgeous baby girl, Ava. Yep, in, in August. In silence. <laughs> <laughs> in silence. In silence. <laughs> so anyway, you have your, your your gorgeous baby girl and this is a pivotal moment for you guys when you go in to register her birth. So I suppose we going into like the last kind of weeks before she was born, we had kind of heard and as I as I said before, we didn't know any other gay parents. You know, so mm. we didn't know any other people in the same situation, but we started kind of connecting with some people online at that time and there was more kind of openness around you know this topic and we heard that only the person who would give birth would be actually a legal parent and we just couldn't get our heads around that we were like but how like you know, no like we're married we're married like yeah it was Audrey's egg it was Audrey's egg and we're married yeah. like yeah. just no like if I was married to a man they would just be the father or the parent whatever like Mm -hmm. we just couldn't get our heads around it and so we did know prior to her being born that this was going to happen and we had gone to a solicitor and we had learned about this but I suppose the day it became very real to us was the day that we registered her birth because I've heard so many parents talking about that day as being like one of the days they remember forever it's one of the days up there with the wedding, up there with the birth, whatever, those really special days that you treasure and you go in, you know, if you're in Dublin, you go into Lombard Street and then you go for a coffee and a cake afterwards. And it's just a really happy time because, mm. you know, that's your per- little person that you've it's brought official. into the world. Yeah, yeah. officially. Yeah, yeah. Um, for us, we went into the office together. We were really kind of down already before going in because we knew only I'd be on the birth cert but it just became very real when we were sitting there and we're sitting there with all these other parents and their babies and we kind of didn't even talk we were just sitting there with our newborn just really defeated about the whole thing um we went into the office uh with the registrar and she was just very 
quite clinical about it and she said okay right who which one is the mother and we were like uh we both are both are yeah. we both are yeah and she's like no 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 I mean which one gave birth which which one of you gave birth and I said I did oh she's just like that yeah 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 just like that which one of you gave birth wow okay there was no kind of preamble about look I'm sorry I know you're married I know you know yeah, this is yeah, your yeah. there was none of that it was just which one of you gave birth I said I did and she said okay Renee I'm going to be um just directing all my questions that you know and did not look at Audrey at all God. didn't didn't look at her didn't in- include her in the conversation and yes I know it's just filling out a form and you know just asking you all these questions but at the same time it was just it was just really weird it was just not a, not showing any compassion at all because uh, clearly as you said you were going into it already knowing it was going to be difficult but it was just made a lot worse it was yeah. just a really horrible experience um and you know after after we left that day even the person behind the desk who was actually the secretary and who just printed out the cert they showed us more more compassion. They kind of handed us this out and they're like, oh, sorry. Yeah, okay. Um, because even that, I mean, you know, they can't change the rules as yeah. they are. But, you know, it's it's important to show decency and be kind, yeah. particularly in a, in a situation like that that yeah. feels extremely unfair. Yeah, and it was extremely unfair. And after yeah. we left that day, Audrey said, I never want to do that again. Yeah, so when okay. we did it, when we, when we had to do it the second time for Aria... Um, I went by myself. I went by myself with her because I was registering as a single parent. And that's essentially what I was doing. Um, you know, she couldn't do that as again. A single parent. Yeah. It's yeah. all messed up. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. Um, and what I find just really hard to kind of contend with, I suppose, is that people don't know. You know, and I've, yeah. you know, so that was, you know, Ava will be five this year. Since she has been born, I have been banging on about this non-stop like we went on um I think our first tv appearance was like Ireland AM when she was maybe two or three months old mm. we have done countless you know film just all of these mediums I talk about it constantly on my socials I'm writing articles about it and I you know I've spoken at pride numerous times and still people don't know about it Still, people think that we live in an equal Ireland where Ireland said yes six years ago and everything has been sorted for the gays. Yeah, OK. And it really, really hasn't. Yeah, you yeah. know, um, and it's a head in the sand stuff. It's just easier to, to not see. Yeah. See it. Yeah. And I understand and I understand that people want to focus on the positive news stories. But this is something well, it's important to be real, too. It really isn't it? It and, really and, is. And, and that, you know, that we're all seen. Yeah. Like I literally could have gone in with a stranger on the street like if if they're a male yeah 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 could have picked anyone and said come on in come on in i'll put you on birth cert um you know so it's been a clear discrimination against our children because of the sex of their parents Mm -hmm. um you know and now as as we are today there have been steps taken and some children now have equality but most still don't most children of lgbtq plus families still don't have equality um and also um this is only like a statistic i saw recently one in six heterosexual couples need ah or like assisted human reproduction 
um, assistance to, to have their families. One in six. It's it's a huge number of it people. Is, yeah. Yeah. Um, Ireland has a huge um, rate of surrogacy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, a family who has conceived a child through surrogacy would be in a similar position to many LGBTQ plus families where, you know, a surrogate is given parental rights and not the mother. Yeah. You know, and it all comes back to the Irish constitution of what a mother is. And a mother is deemed to be a person who gives birth. Yeah. And that's in our constitution. So that's what's caused um, so many um, hardships for families. Mm-hmm. And needless, you know, there are so many other things that I would love to be fighting for and, you know, advocating for. But we're having to fight for just something that's so basic. So, so basic to just have a legal connection to your parent. Um and it's not about, you know, pretending that there was no donor involved in the conception. It's not about hiding anything from children. It's not about um, trying to falsify birth certificates. But in Ireland, the way to have parental connection with your child is through the birth certificate, you know. And mm-hmm. if you're not on the birth cert, you don't exist. Um, so it's just about trying to protect children and, and give them the protections that all of other children have. And that's why you're doing this. You're yeah. doing this for your two girls. Yeah. Yeah. So what does it mean? I mean, Audrey's not recognized. No. So currently she still is considered a legal stranger. And if I wanted to go like I have dual nationality and if I wanted to take the kids to America tomorrow and say bye, I could. Um, she has no legal connection to them. Wow. Um, the steps that have been made in recent years are, you know, and a lot, maybe people listening will be kind of, no, but I heard that that changed because there has been some change. The change is that, um, there's a piece of legislation called the Children and Family Relationships Act that finally came into effect last May. And what that means is if you are a female couple and you meet the criteria, um, listed in that piece of legislation, you can both go on the birth cert. But you have to be a female couple. You have to have done fertility treatment in an Irish clinic. You have to have used an identifiable sperm donor. Um, and the child has to be born in Ireland. So if you fall outside of that at all, you're still not equal. Which you guys do because you obviously did your treatment abroad. So with our with our particular situation, it's a little bit more complicated um, in that if for conceptions before May of last year, so if you have if, if you meet most of the criteria, but say you had an anonymous donor or if you used a foreign clinic, but your children were conceived before May of last year, um, there's an amnesty for those kids. So okay. technically our kids should have the amnesty and we should be able to um go to court to get a declaration of parentage for Audrey. It's been a bit more complicated in that we brought a case against the state because they were not including reciprocal IVF in this piece of legislation. Okay. It was excluded. We spent a year and a half dealing with this case. Um, and, you know, there was a good outcome in that they have now included reciprocal IVF in this piece of legislation we have not been able to complete the re-registration of our kids because of that other court case so it's just made things more complicated for us it's been a bit of a catch-22 for us okay um we we are hopeful that we'll be able to resolve 
our legal situation soon for these two girls. But if we use any of our embryos that we still have abroad, they won't be covered because they will be after May 2020. So we could be in a really weird situation where we finally get the rights for our existing kids. Yeah. But if we choose to have another child, which we are pretty sure we're going to do, um, those children or child will not be covered even though they would be genetically identical. Um, so bizarre. It's really bizarre. Um, but regardless of whether or not our children are covered, I just don't believe that, you know, the fight it will ever be over until everyone is treated the same. Like, why would, why would one child who is conceived in a clinic mm-hmm. be eligible for a legal connection to their parents and a child who's conceived at home uh, through intracervical insemination or home insemination, why would they not be allowed to have a legal connection with their parents? Or why should a child born through surrogacy to two gay dads or to, you know, to a parent, why should they have less rights than a child? You know, we, we need to stop looking at how children were conceived and where they were born and was it was it in Ireland or was it in the North or, you know, Children need to have a legal connection to the people who are raising them and who are their parents. Mm. They should also have access to their genetic heritage. I completely agree. Um, But they need to have, you know, safety within within their family life. And love and and the, the key ingredients that every child needs and is important growing up is what, you know, you're providing yourselves at home in your Mm. family unit. Yeah. and they're the most important things. Now, there's so many questions are coming into my mind that mm. I'm imagining people listening may be curious about and be wondering about. So um, a few of them are. So so Ava is going to be five this year. And Aria, is she two? She's two and three months. OK, yeah. so both you you went to different clinics in different countries for both simply mm-hmm. because um, things we became weren't... a little bit tricky in Barcelona? Yeah, we, we kind of, we had gone back to try and conceive a second child. Um, we had a transfer that didn't work and then we lost an embryo and then we were going to have to start from scratch again and we just weren't completely happy with our clinic. Mm-hmm. And that's something that's really important for anyone going through fertility treatment is that you're really comfortable with your, your the people who are treating you and that you yes. just feel kind of at home and we didn't feel that anymore. Um, and at the time, reciprocal IVF still wasn't legislated or licensed for here. Um, it is now for anyone wishing to avail of it. Um, many of the clinics have are offering it now. Um, so we still needed to go abroad and we just looked at loads of different clinics and we just got a really good feeling about this one in Portugal that we ended up going to. It's called Ferdicentro. It is in a small town called Quimbra. And it was just, it was a beautiful experience. It was completely different because we were going with a one and a half year old this time. (laughs) So it was not relaxing at all. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Not, not like when we went to Barcelona and we were walking on the beach every day and, (laughs) um, you know, it was not relaxing, but it was still lovely and the clinic were just gorgeous. And so if we, if we go again, we'll be going back to them. Because you have your, our embryos embryos are there. Yeah. Yeah. How many do you have? We have three left. Wonderful. Yeah. So we, w- we would be hopeful that, that we would be successful again yeah. if, if we tried again. Yes. Yeah, I think we will. You know, we talk about it every day. Do Even really? last night we were lying in bed and 
we were watching something on the laptop, like Grey's Anatomy, and there was like a baby being born or something. And Audrey was like, we are going to have, we are, aren't we? Mm. You know, we go back, so back and forth because a lot of days we're just literally crying at each other. Like, I'm so exhausted. <laughs> so hard. I'm so tired. <laughs> I'm so tired. When are we not going to be tired anymore? <laughs> but like, that's just for, for a season and then it passes. Yeah. You know, I know it's so hard having kids, but I kind of figure it's already hard, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and we just love them so much and they just give us so much happiness. Of they course. really do. They're just they're just so beautiful like we're we're obsessed with our kids we love them well I follow you on Instagram (laughs) and I see your stories and they are just divine um and they laugh they laugh so so much much. yeah they look like the happiest girls I've ever seen they are so happy and they obviously you know all kids have their own little kind of struggles and Ava definitely is going through some kind of anxiety issues okay but she also is just so happy when it's the four of us like and she adores her sister and yeah yeah, she's very happy. Audrey makes them, Audrey's just a big kid. So she just makes them laugh. Like right before bedtime, she riles them up. And I'm like, babe, <laughs> enough. Yeah, I'm like, we need them to sleep. Three of you sit down on the couch now. <laughs> so both, um, you went the same process with both reciprocal IVF. Yeah. So Audrey's eggs for both Ava and Aria. Yes. And anonymous sperm donors. Yes, because in that has changed now. So at one point in time, in most countries, only anonymous donation was allowed. Um, the kind of th- the school of thought has changed in recent years in that, you know, children should have access to their genetic heritage. And I wholeheartedly agree with that. Um, but at the time, that was all that was available. We, You know, you weren't allowed to get non-anonymous donation. Yeah, OK. Um, that has changed now, I think, both in Spain and Portugal. It has changed now. Um, and in Ireland, as of May last year, only okay. identifiable. So there's three types of donors. You can get a known donor, which is maybe a friend who agrees to be your donor. Then you can have an anonymous donor, which means you don't know who they are. The clinic doesn't know. And you know, you can never access their information. And then identifiable means that you don't know who they are. Clinic doesn't know, but their details are held on a register. And at the age of 18, the child conceived through that donation can access that if they want to. So that okay. going forwards, that's the only type of donors that are allowed in Ireland mm, and, it, and in most countries. Yes. But now that you still have your three embryos, they are presumably with the same sperm. Yeah. Yeah, so it's still you it's still, still anonymous. anonymous. Yeah. But do you know what? I don't think there is such a thing as anonymous anymore. There are so many websites you can go for like DNA tests and you can find, you know, there are all these sorts of kind of services where people can find um, donor siblings, you know. Okay, yeah. Um, and I just don't think anything is truly anonymous anymore. I think mm. if you really wanted to track, you know, genetic heritage, I think there will be a way to do that now and definitely in the future. Mm, yeah, with the way science is mm. moving. Do you think it will be something, like, is, is it something that you guys have spoken about? Yes. Okay. Yes. Oh, definitely. It's definitely something. And, you know, Ava loves telling everyone her birth story. Okay. And the way she tells it is so funny. She, and she just, <laughs> like, we've talked about this with her very openly from the time she was born. And it's definitely, you know, something that is needed, that there needs to be more, like, children's literature in the area. Mm. Um, I actually have a book that I am kind of in the process of, of trying to write. Um, Great. I think kids need to be educated on 
all the different ways that families are created and, you know, the non-traditional methods that are used. Yes. And it's really important to start that early because then it's not a big deal at all. You know, we've always told her that she was an egg that was in mom's tummy. And then we went to a special place and, you know, we used a donor sperm and she knows all of these phrases. Great, yeah. And recently she started talking about it all the time to anyone who will listen. She'd be like, yeah. And when I was born and I was in, I was in mom's tummy and then the doctor took me and then I was an embryo and then, <laughs> and then I was in mama's tummy and then, and then she was trying to push me out and I got really big and then I was getting tired <laughs> <laughs> and she like recounts the whole labor. And then the doctor needed to help to pull my head out cause it was too big. <laughs> she loves brilliant. it, but she just loves the, she loves the fact that she oh. was in mom's tummy and then she was in mama's tummy. Yeah. You know, and I don't know. So how mom much... is Audrey and your mama. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Okay. That's brilliant. Yeah. But no, I think it's really important to talk to kids about how they were born. Um, and I do, yeah. it is definitely something I have, that we haven't gone there now with our little boy, but yeah. you make me think, yeah, like there's yeah. no harm. Even if you think they're not taking it in, they are, yeah. you know, they understand yeah. a lot more than what we give them credit for. And I think that, um, yeah, that's definitely something we worried about when we were starting the process. We were like, will our kid hate us because we have an anonymous donor and they can't access that information? Will they hate us? Will they be like, you ruined my life? I want access to this information. And then at the time we were like, well, do you know what? This is the only option open to us. Mm. And our kid's going to find some way to hate us. Yeah. And we're going to screw them up in some way. <laughs> so true. <laughs> so this is just going to be one of the ways she's going to blame us for it'll, something. It'll just be an easy, yeah. an easy target. You know? uh, yeah. And just, just like, be like yeah. we, we didn't have a choice in the matter. And, you know, yeah. it, it is what it is. Like, we'll have those conversations when we get there. And it will be something we have to all navigate. Mm. And one of them might be interested. One of them may have no interest. You just don't know how someone's going to react. And I think that the best policy is to just have open communication. Yes, exactly. And once yeah. they know that, that you're open about it and honest. Yeah. And you're not hiding anything. That's really yeah. healthy. And have you been able to connect with other couples and families who have been through similar experiences as yourselves? In Ireland. Anywhere. So, yeah, I but, mean, but interestingly, yeah, how many are in Ireland? Yeah. So I suppose when I started talking really publicly about this in 2016, um, I started kind of slowly connecting with other families in Ireland who had been, you know, had had their children either through surrogacy or through IVF or through um, non-clinical methods um, and started kind of building ourselves a little tribe of of people which is really nice and we have some really close friends now who um have kids and all around the same age and it's it's really important to me that our kids have you know see families like their own yeah um and i suppose that got a lot bigger in 2019 because m myself along with many other kind of families in the same situation, we formed a campaign group called Equality for Children. Mm. And uh, we set up that campaign, I suppose, with the view to doing, you know, what Yes Equality did for marriage equality. You know, a campaign yeah. group that was dedicated solely to one issue, and that one issue is achieving equality for all children born to LGBTQ plus families in Ireland. Um, so we've been going since 2019. I'm the CEO. Um, it's my 
non-official full-time job (laughs) that doesn't pay me anything Mm. um it's a lot of work but it's also very rewarding because it's really kind of brought a community together um and we have you know just connected with so many people and you know irish people living abroad who are in a situation where they want to come home but if they come home their children won't be legally connected to them or they're living abroad and they can't get their kids passports because the the parent who gave birth is not Irish um you know yeah so it's a it's a it's a very broad issue and um it's very challenging Mm -hmm. um what can we do what can people listening do to make a difference because I know it's about signing petitions and and awareness is a huge Mm. part of this because as you said so many people still don't realize this is the case But on a practical level, what can we do? So I always say to people that like one of the biggest challenges I face in the work that I do is, you know, the awareness side of things because people don't know. And if people don't know, people can't get mad about it. They can't do anything to change it. Mm -hmm. Um, So if people are not talking about this and that's something I do and I actually work with a lovely uh, lady called... uh, Lucy in artisan PR she does all our PR and she does it pro bono and she literally has been for the last two years trying to keep this in the media and it's really hard because people want good news stories and people want you know something new and it's like we're in the same situation that we've been in you know and so it's hard to keep it um current the momentum going yeah it's hard because we're Mm. constantly trying to put a new spin on things so that people will get talking about it again um but it is so important. Like we're nearly six years on. We're yeah. six years on from marriage equality and we don't have equality, but most people think we do. So I think the biggest thing that people can do is to raise awareness within their own circle and their own network. So if, you know, you're a person with a big family, get onto your family WhatsApp and yeah. start a conversation about this and say, hey, did you know this was happening? Mm-hmm. Um, like, do you care about it? And I kind of believe if you are someone who is either within the queer community or you are someone who claims to be an ally or you're someone who voted yes if you are someone who voted yes this is your issue yeah okay you know yes and 63 percent of the country voted yes Mm -hmm. and i believe that if every one of those people knew that this was what was happening um they'd be up in arms surely because this is not equality um, because you're right when you think about it we all got behind it yeah. those of us who believed mm-hmm. that we wanted you know marriage equality mm-hmm. for all we really did get behind it really in it a was huge, huge way like if you remember Dublin Castle oh yeah May six years ago um, so powerful so powerful and people just don't know this is happening so they can't do anything about mm-hmm. it so we need people to know this is happening and not and not to limit it but it's almost like it's it's even more it's more important because i would these are kids i would prefer to have equality for my kids yeah. than to have equality for me and my wife honestly mm-hmm. i would because um it's about protecting them um yeah and how can you protect yourselves i mean the way it is right now you're the one on on the birth cert you're the one being recognized. Can you protect yourselves through like, I don't know, writing of a will or yeah, what so can you, you do? You can do a couple of things. You can write a will. Um, you can get guardianship of a child, but you can only get guardianship after you've lived with a child for two years. So if you don't qualify under the current legislation, so if you're not female, haven't done treatment in a clinic in Ireland, um, child wasn't born in Ireland, if you don't meet that criteria, 
um, you can get guardianship, but only after a kid turns two. And nice. for anyone who's a parent, you know that most of like the medical things and the things that you need to give consent for happen in the first two years. Yes. Yeah, of um, and only the legal parent can do all those things. So the burden falls onto one person, you know, to do all of that. Um, but yes, you can absolutely get guardianship after um, a child turns two. Um, but really what we need to be doing is just fighting for full equal rights for everybody. Yes. Um, and we actually are at a really exciting point in time right now because it has taken a year, but a report was completed by um, appointed by the government. Um, a, a, the special children's rapporteur, his name is Professor Connor O'Mahony. He was appointed to do a really in-depth um, piece of research around the gaps in the legislation, all the children who fell between the cracks looking at assisted human reproduction. So looking at the LGBTQ plus community, how we have our families and also those one in six heterosexual mm. families who need AHR2. Um, so it heavily focuses on surrogacy, but also looks at lots of other things like non-clinical conceptions um, within the LGBTQ plus community. That report was finished in December, so it took a full year um, and it was published a couple of weeks ago. Now, the report was more than what we could have asked for. It has everything we wanted in it. All of the recommendations kind of provide clear legal solutions to cover all families. Okay. What we need is for the government to accept their own report that they commissioned yes. to say, okay, you are the expert. You have looked at this from a child's rights point of view. Um, we are going to accept your recommendations and we're going to adopt them into the AHR bill going forwards. And we're going to do that very quickly. That's what we need them to do. Um, so there's a lot happening at governmental level. There are meetings going on behind the scenes. We have some very strong allies in certain departments. Um, oh, God. Minister McEntee is a very strong ally. Yeah. Um, she will be going on maternity leave soon. So we're trying to kind of make things happen quickly. Yeah. Um, and set up a cross departmental approach because this is not going to be, this is not going to lie with any one department. It's going to be across a lot of departments. Um, what we have done is we've started a new petition in, in the last um, week and a half, basically calling on. Um, the health department and uh, the minister for health to accept these recommendations and implement them um we're trying to get that petition to twenty thousand signatures um we're hoping to meet with him and other departments in the next couple of weeks it would be really great to have that to twenty thousand before we meet so we can go into the meeting and say we we have the support behind us so this is where people listening you can actually do something. Please. And I know. Yeah, and I'm we're going to include yeah. this link in the show notes. Yeah. So all you'll have to do is click on yeah. it and sign your name. I've signed my name, signed my name a few weeks back. Yeah. It takes seconds. Seconds. It's so easy. And it's so easy to get like, you know, just set yourself a target. Get 10 of your friends to do the same. Yeah. 10 of your family members to do the same. It's so easy to do. And I know that it's possible um, to do that. Like I a couple of years ago started a petition I got it to 20,000 and hours after I got it to 20,000 I had an email from the then Minister for Health Simon Harris um, because 20,000 seems to be the number 
apparently so so i've heard and there is power in numbers and mm-hmm. i know people get fatigued with the amount of petitions we're asked to sign but it literally takes two seconds out of your day and it literally can make a change yeah and for so long we've been talking about this issue and there's been no real kind of clear pathway to achieve equality but actually right now it's really exciting because we do have a pathway we've literally been handed a guidebook yes. <laughs> as such from an expert who says okay this is how it is this is what we need to look at this is what we need to be careful of and this is how we fix it we've literally been handed that mm. so all we need the government to do is to say okay yeah let's take this and roll with it um but that's not going to happen without public pressure sure because there you can better us there's going to be pushback mm-hmm and that's the thing. Yeah, there is, you know, within within certain departments and within, you know, yeah. certain people at certain levels, will there will be definite pushback on some aspects of that report. And, you know, there's always been pushback against surrogacy. Um, so unless we have the support behind us, it's it's going to take a lot longer. And I just feel like we're literally just at this moment in time where we actually can change something. Yeah. But we need people's help to do that. Yes. Yes, you do. I, I mean, I, I just suppose I, I just appeal to anyone listening who uh, has listened to this conversation, has connected with you and your family. And if you're anyway like me and you're just thinking, God, this is just basic humanity. Um, all kids deserve and their parents deserve it. They, they, they deserve this connection. So I think it's just appealing to people's good nature. As you said, it only takes a few seconds and it's your good deed done yep. for the day or the week or the month or whatever way you want to look at it. Yeah. We are an incredibly generous people. We see it all the time with our big, you know, charity campaigns. The Late Late Show will do an item and then it's next thing. It's, you know, we've raised 500,000. We've raised a million, two million, three million. Yeah. We are bloody brilliant at getting behind things. When we know about it. When we know about it. Yeah. yeah. So now we know. Yeah. When we know better, we do better. <laughs> exactly. I was just thinking about, you know, couples relationships they can be challenging at the best of times Mm. but you've had all of this to contend with as well I would imagine does that cause friction at times within your own relationship because this is not your doing it's an outside thing that is infiltrating the dynamic of being parents to your children it's been incredibly difficult and it's something that I hugely resent and I have a lot of anger over it I have a lot of anger at what this has done to our family and to our relationship like we are still very much a team and we're very much um together in everything we do but this has really taken its toll on us um it's taken its toll on me like I'm you know I, I I get to a point where I just hit a wall and I'm just exhausted I'm exhausted from um from just saying the same thing over and over and over and over. And having to fight. And having to fight for something that I shouldn't have to fight for. Um, I always call myself an accidental activist, but I also Mm. call myself an exhausted activist. And I think anyone who has been involved, you know, I I speak to a lot of people who've been involved in like the repeal campaign and years on, they're suffering the kind of the trauma from it. You know, the, the difficulty of going through campaigning for something that you shouldn't have to campaign for something that you shouldn't have to tell your personal story over and over again yes you shouldn't have to put your family on show 
Um, and that's what you're doing. You're having yeah. to share, which we've done through this conversation. Yeah. You've had to share a very personal detail about you haven't had to. You've done it because yeah. the, for the greater good. Yeah. You're doing it because you feel passionate about yeah. this. But it is putting you in a in a in a very difficult draining situation. And I know from my own situation, completely different, mm. but from speaking about past experience, be it miscarriage or otherwise, when you go back into the pain of it, mm. you relive it again. You do. And it's like, yeah, it's kind of like for me at the moment, it's kind of just I really relive it every day. I just I talk about it every day. Yeah. It's a part of my every day. And that does cause issue, you know, in our relationship because, mm. you know, Audrey just wants me to be OK and she doesn't want to see me exhausted and she doesn't want to see me um, fighting all the time. Like I'm always on my phone. Yeah. And it's usually to do with this, you know, and it's usually because I'm, you know, responding to, to things or I'm writing up press releases or I'm, you know, I'm just constantly working. And, it, you know, she just. That's really hard, you know, and even just the fact the imbalance in the relationship that has been created because yes. I have had all of the rights yeah. that in itself is hard, you know, if you know, imagine. and I know, you know, a lot of. um Heterosexual people could be in this similar situation where, you know, sometimes an unmarried father has no rights, you know, things like that. Um, if they're not on the birth cert or, you know, there can be loads of different situations where the 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 power dynamic is out of whack. Yeah. Um, and that in itself can c cause issues, you know. Um, mm -hmm. So, yes, it's been incredibly hard and all, you know, I always say I, there's no way I'd still be doing this today if it wasn't so important. If it was anything else, I'd have passed it on to someone else. I'd have said, no, I can't. I can't do this anymore. Um, I'm just hopeful that we can um, get there sooner rather than later because I don't think I can do this for another five years. Yeah. I really don't think I have it in me. I mean, I would probably find it from somewhere, but, you know, the thought of doing this for another five years is just not good. No. You know, I think I'll always be that person who likes to speak up for injustice that I see that is just a part of who I am. Yeah. You know, I I won't stay silent to kind of make friends with people. I'll, mm. you know, call it as I see it. But I just wish that I could be putting my energy into something else that isn't just something that should be a given. Yeah. You know, so I look forward to the day when I can, you know, fight for other things. Yes. Yeah. Or not fight at all. Or not fight or at not all. Or not fight at all. I can't even imagine what that would feel like yeah. right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Well, that would be my hope and prayer for you that you get a break. You mm. get a break and you're given the opportunity to take a break and take a step back. Again, I suppose just to reiterate, the link is in the show notes. Please click in. Please sign. Um, thank you for listening to this conversation. And Renee, thank you so much for opening up and again sharing your experience um i fully appreciate that it ain't easy mm. and you know you're you're a mom and you've two gorgeous girls and you want to have a nice life and you do have a good life and a lovely life but it's a huge drain on your energy and, yeah. and, and a lot of time yeah. so yeah thank you very very much for this thanks for having me 
Renee has her own podcast called Disordered, which explores our relationship with food and our bodies, and it's really worth checking out. And if you enjoyed this chat, please show your support by leaving a rating or a little comment on Apple or by clicking follow on Spotify. Thank you so much for listening to Ready To Be Real Conversations. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.